Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about resourcing the metaverse. We really wanted to dig in and think of the metaverse as a distributed environment um, where it could be owned by the people who are hosting the environments. And, and one of the complicating factors here is, is the metaverse AR or VR, augmented or virtual systems. And we flipped back and forth. I think overall consensus becomes that the augmented reality version of the metaverse is probably the most valuable and the most accessible uh, for building these systems out. But we kept coming back to mixing physical assets running the environments and intellectual property assets, the actual furniture and environments, uh, decorations and things that you would actually put in that environment, the software that would run it as much more necessary and interesting. Uh, How we walk through that process is as always fascinating. Oh, and by the way, stay tuned for the end of this conversation. We had a really good uh, discussion about testing products and giving product feedback as a service. Um, And we have a lot of people with experience in that. And so that 10 minutes of conversation will be included at the end of this podcast. And I know you will enjoy that too. Thanks. (laughs) To me, I think metaverse, uh, yeah, I think metaverse requires the three-dimensional uh, space here and the immersive experience, um, or what, at least the way Facebook is busy promoting their, their legless people. Um, are we talking you know, VR a short or version VR? Of uh, I, I think that the vision would involve a degree of both, um, from that, that perspective where there's a degree of interaction. Um, but potentially you could you could see people overlaid into a physical into your space instead of having to be in a completely immersive space. Um, By um, immersive, Rob, do you also include? Well, what what inco- what do you include with immersive? For example, do you get into kind of real time munging of data and it's presentation do you get into you know shared whiteboards do you um, what what is what are what are we what are yeah, we talking about here? I, it's a really good question so let's let's be do this more specifically maybe uh, and imagine uh, a virtual conference room where you had people ah, where you had people sitting around lost my video altogether um where you lo- where you had people sitting around a virtual conference table who were not in the room and able to collaborate and work together. So um, I would go actually a step further. It'd be really interesting if some people were physically in the room and some people were virtually in the room, and then you could actually have a hybrid interaction between those people. And is the objective then to make it as close to a real you know real experience like a physical experience is that the is that the is that the primary role of the metaverse uh, i go ahead please yeah um so 
Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, the, um, you know, we, we, since Second Life came out, the idea of the metaverse has been, um, for those that pay attention to, you know, virtual worlds, hell, Dungeon and Dragons, pick a, pick a multiplayer uh, role-based game. Um, they're all metaverses of some sort, but um, I had been ignoring them for years uh, until I went back to an old boss and a good friend of mine, Eric Poulier, um, who's found an org- a company called Vatom Inc., Virtual Atom. And Rich, to your point, it is exactly that. What he's really trying to create in his environment where you can move and and react and experience um, as if you are experiencing real life. And it's not like they're expecting to, um, well, who knows what they're expecting to do long-term. But uh, the example, for instance, that I walk through with him with um, an environment he's building for one of his customers, and he's got huge customers, customers like Vodafone and MGM and others that are talking to him. So there's a lot of really, really big interest in this stuff. And you guys have seen that by the land grabs that some have made, um, which still kind of kind of screws with me since nobody knows who's going to own the all the, the most important access point to begin with. How do you decide which property to buy? Like, oh, I've decided Phoenix is eventually going to be Manhattan. I'm going to buy this empty square of desert. Um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big if, but Nonetheless, what he showed me, and it's just a, uh, it's just through your um, browser, um, was this ability to to jump in, um, have your face and head be your avatar, um, along with uh, you know some minor representation of a body, um, and anybody else that you're with knows you're there and knows where you are and can find you. Um, uh, the, the environment he showed me was uh, like picture, um, a large show floor or a conference floor. Um, and there was a large hallway down the middle and around the edge of the hallway were different, um, uh, rooms, meeting spaces, uh, uh, presentation spaces, whatever. And you could walk down the hallway and, oh, there's somebody, you know, standing on the side of the hallway. And as you get closer you begin to hear their conversation. And as you get closer yet, the conversation gets louder. Then you go to one of the rooms and you go into the hallway. And as you get into the room, you start hearing the speaker in the room. And, and then as you go through the door, you see the video that the speaker is present presenting in that room of the conference floor. And then you can go sit down with your friends in the room if you want to, or with other people. You can interact with the other people that are in the room. So it really is a, um, I, I, I think immersive is overused, right? But it's, it's, it's much closer to being, um, to connecting people for an experience than it is just watching something happen, right? I mean, I've been to and participated in an enormous number of virtual talks in the last two years. I've not liked any of them, not, not one of them. Uh, there's nothing worse than talking into a blank screen and hoping that people are not looking at their phones, uh, hoping that people are nodding when you think they would nod at your comments. I, 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 I never got comfortable with that. Um, but this really allows you to experience an activity um, and, and create um, memories and, um, and opportunities with friends and relations in ways that, you know, working via Zoom or working in, in the blindness 
of a um, of a virtual uh, presentation like like via Zoom or WebEx or something like that presents today. And I think that if if I would paraphrase Eric, I would say that that's what he's trying to create. He's trying to create something that allows you to 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 in these virtual spaces actually actually develop memories and experiences that can to some degree mirror what you would expect if you were there in person. So so what's the underlying communication mechanism around that? Because I mean, there's, be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, um, was, I mean, I was involved in a project here at yeah. my company where we were essentially taking like there's a feature in WebEx where you can where you can create breakout rooms and all of that stuff that goes what you're talking about. But essentially putting an putting a really nice overlay virtual room overlay on top of that. Um, and there's a few of those systems around. We use one with some of our development teams. I'll go dig up what the name of it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it tries to bring in, you know, you know, Rob sitting in the library, which means, you know, he wants to, you know, he wants, you know, quiet space to go do some research and you're, you know, and if you really have to bug him, you can bug him, but you know, he would, you know, would prefer not right. That's sort right. of the implied thing or, or he's, you know, he's right. sitting in the break room, which means, you know, he's sort of, you know, you know, he's up for a conversation. Um, yeah. Th- those, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think those are interesting, but I think they're, I'm sort of kind of skeptic, skeptically dubious of the value of them. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, Klaus has been waiting. I'll, I'll shut yeah, up for a minute. Go ahead, uh, go ahead Klaus. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm kind of uh, thinking on the same lines as, as Don, like um, mostly in terms of when we, when we've looked at other technologies, like, blockchains or DLTs or, or Kubernetes, we've, we've asked ourselves, is this a solution in, in search of a problem? And I, I have to ask the same thing about the metaverse. Like what problem is it trying to solve? I, I, a new kind of answer some of that, like the, the, the connection from the presenter to the audience. Uh, on the other hand, um, the scenarios that you that you were given were scenarios with a small number of participants, and I just can't see this scaling up. Like I, like ten years ago, I was an avid MMO player, and and getting 20, 40 people to interact with each other in in, in one area, it it was a performance nightmare. Uh, do, doing this real time with, with something at the scale of a conference, I just can't see it working fluidly. I mean, I, it, it can work, it's just not fluidly. Um, so I, I, I'm skeptical. Um, uh, well, and, and, and there are two more hands up, so I'll just provide, and sorry, Rob, I'm, I'm jumping in, but um, uh, Klaus, you know, the, we've, we've used those comments any number of times, as you mentioned, over for any number of, uh, of technologies. And oftentimes, you know, you picked on Kubernetes as an example. Oftentimes, it's not about whether Kubernetes eventually solved some real problems. It's about whether it solved all the problems that were def- it was trying to be defined for when it was new. Now, the fact is, is that Kubernetes is a fantastic product for where it works best. 
Should it solve all of the problems people think it should solve, like being at every edge? Um, should people try to um, continue to add more things to it to make it into OpenStack? Um, probably not. But um, uh, blockchain, if we were having this conversation three years ago, I would have repeated the same, you know, I would have repeated this back then. I would have said blockchain is, is just a, um, a, a cool man's version of uh, a, a decent database, a decent distributed database. I wouldn't say that anymore. I would not say that anymore. Um, the blockchain actually can and will solve some real problems in the financial community specifically, but also I have friends in the entertainment world that are looking at blockchain as a real life changer for how they get music to people, how they experience, how people experience that music, how they maintain ownership for, for, for songs and, and so on and so forth. So there are myriad ways where blockchain is likely to solve real world problems. And we're just touching the beginning of it. As far as the performance goes though, Klaus, I would, I would urge you not to think about why it won't work, but rather think about why it could be put to use because um, uh, if companies like MGM and Vodafone are already looking at investing millions of dollars into um, these environments, uh, then there is incentive and, and motivation behind the trend. And if there's motivation behind the trend, people will figure it out. What I believe, and I've gotten um, Derek Collison involved in it as well uh, because of his messaging platform. Um, uh, but what I believe is that um, the metaverse over time will be no different than, than um, you know, what you would expect from an edge environment. We'll have to worry about things like people's um, uh, governance over their, over their data. We'll have to worry about uh, um, sovereignty and compliance. Um, we'll have to worry about policy movement between locations. We'll have to worry about the integration of more real life AR and VR activities as opposed to just a, a deeper interaction in a typical front end. And all of those things will require a much broader distribution of technology than just deploying it on Amazon or Google. At least that's my impression at this point. But it, again, it's still very early. Oh, oh, okay, go ahead, Joanne. Sorry, I'm Rob, Rob's letting me take <laughs> no, over. I <laughs> no, I, 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 y'all, y'all are. I, I, since I wasn't sure y'all could see the raised hands, which is good. Raise hands when you want to jump in, but not interrupt. And I, I assume that a degree of like, oh, wait, this is directly pertinent to that, that conversation we'll jump in on. Go ahead. I look Sorry. at, so I'm listening to what the discussion is around metaverse and the, and the interaction. I call it the Z index because you're now looking at the three dimensional world and not necessarily avatars flying around and whatever, but I liken it to geospatial technology. And I think that that's a very good design and reference point to look at the technologies behind it. Because if you think about it, if you've ever gone into a mall um, and walked around and suddenly your, um, your Bluetooth goes off or whatever, and you're being directed down to a particular store through a directory system or anything even remotely close to that, which is the navigation for malls for stores to attract more foot traffic and things like that. That's a very well-defined technology set. It's a version of geospatial 
let's say, for the collaborative environment. This is the beginning of, of metaverse technology as well, and to Mark's reference of Second Life, and I was a big proponent of it way back then. The only difference to metaverse now is that we have the opportunity to become personal edges. Use the technology of the phone or additional technology to it, and we each become our own metaverse version where we can let the avatar go if we choose to, retain our privacy, retain the ownership of our data and those kinds of things. But what will make it fly, no pun intended, is the geospatial technology that's always been reserved for very high performance computing, for geology, for mining, for those kinds of, of capabilities. They were first brought into the mall environment for navigation. Now there are a lot of companies out there, heavy engineering companies that do this kind of work that are looking to sort of do a, a light version. And this will become the, the first metaverse offerings because they have the ability to give you that immersive experience without necessarily the overhead of always being 3D rendered, et cetera, et cetera. You can get the basics of it. Uh, look at any 3, 3D rendering tool out there um, that anybody, any creator can use. Those are the same thing. You just have to take that technology one step farther. And that's the beginning of it. And I think that's where companies like Facebook are looking to make their first marks with a lot of the crypto and blockchain companies coming in behind it because they've, be, they've developed a certain expertise around decentral models, decentralized models, ergo the comment yesterday on Twitter, and this notion of all for one versus one for all. And what I mean by that is the Web2 stuff, big tech companies, it was one platform for all users. Now we're looking at all users looking to support a platform or many singular platforms. And that's where my uh, analogy of it's a loaf of bread that's now being sliced because each slice is going to still have the same capability as the large loaf of bread. But in this metaverse world, the geospatial tech, I think, class would answer some of the why it might work and get around some of the immersion blo uh, blocks that a lot of companies see coming up. And I don't mean chain blocks on a chain, but um, uh, barriers to entry. Mateo did a very good job of this a few years ago before it was acquired. That's really why it skyrocketed to the top uh, in like six months, because it conquered that problem of bringing geospatial down to a more desktop orientation and even to a phone. And I, I have a question for you, Keith, if you don't mind holding on for a second, uh, I want to. Sure. Because, because what, what you're saying, I, I believe, but I haven't seen, which is that the, the computational, there's two pieces. One is the computational needs to drive that experience will be localized and will have distributed ownership. So if you're going into a, a space, you're, you know, whoever owns that space is going to have local resources for you to be in that space. Um, right. They're going to need to have local resources or the experience is going to be bad. Um, what if you have your own resources that integrate with theirs? 
would that uh, would that mean that you had brought like on your phone, bringing them with you? Or I mean, how many, when we talk about resources, is that a backpack of computers? Is it your car parked in the parking lot contributing to the environment or? It could be any, it could be any of the above. I mean, you could create that experience of a personalized, your, your personal verse on your phone. You have the GPS, you have the Bluetooth, you have the basic functionality all you would be projecting out of it through your camera is your, I don't want to say avatar because I hate that word, but your presence, however you choose to create it and make an API call. I mean, that's a very rudimentary way to look at it, but that basic format could get you over that hurdle. I can, and I would see that as your headset or your, your, you know, you would carry enough to support yourself in the game. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's not that different than game servers today, where if, if I'm playing a, a multiplayer game and this, this is part of my, where I'm, where I, it's an interesting question. If I'm playing a multiplayer game and I have a great gaming rig with a fast GPU and really good internet connections, my experience playing that game is going to be significantly different than somebody else's experience playing that game if they don't have that. And then there's a third component, which is the company hosting the, the shared environment of the game. And they have to put resources into that, that part of the experience too. Um, and I'm not enough of a game developer to know where, how well you can position those parts of the experience. Um, I think I, servers are pretty limited and you, and you know, they're important, but. I, don't know that I, I think, okay, look at it from, I, I understand where you're coming from with gaming. Look at a different kind of engineering technology. Look at Dassault 3D. Look at any of those kind of uh, sort of more CAD oriented 3D, 4D tools. They provide you those kinds of resources to be able to do that in a more significant way. And what I'm hearing and seeing is a lot of companies that are looking at those virtual rooms, if I take that as the example, they would allow you to share in that resource to sort of um, democratize the experience for individuals that may not have as much bandwidth or as much GPU or as much whatever as you have in your experience. What they're trying to get away from is the notion of having to have the headset. because that's a, a big yeah. detractor for everybody. I have, I have more questions, but Keith, I'll defer to you if you, uh, if you want to take. Yeah, so I'm thinking about this from a very layer seven perspective because uh, in 2020, I put on a virtual conference, uh, got some great coverage from like USA Today, blah, blah, blah. And I, I uh, swore that I'll never do another virtual conference. They suck. I mean, they are they are not great experiences from my perspective. However, uh, I'm putting on another virtual conference this year and I'm putting on another virtual conference because people have asked me for it. Uh, There are people who enjoy, for whatever reasons, the virtual conference experience. I am not one of them. I agree with Mark. It is not a. Great. I like people. So uh, for. for me, it's a difficult 
uh, mindset to put myself in. But one of the things that I've been looking into a lot lately has been kind of this esports uh, uh, approach. And a, a much of you, many of you have already hit on it. I don't think there's a need to have a platform that scales to thousands or ten thousands of people. I, my son is super into esports. He's going to Japan. He's going uh, places here domestically to compete, and the audiences for this is amazing. Twitch, uh, Amazon has made a business off of Twitch of having, you know, just a few people with these super heavy resources with these gaming rigs, uh, the connectivity, et cetera, and then built a audience around that. So much so that we're seeing the convergence of the, uh, you know, the content creators uh, and participants in the esports events, uh, uh, both live stream and bring in uh people into arenas, esport arenas to watch the content. So if we think about kind of how the distributed metaverse would work in practice, I probably envision that it would look a lot like that where you have the mega content creators. So if I was to put on the, if my virtual event, I might have, if I had the technology, and I think this is what we're talking about, if I had the technology to support the event in, in, in May, I'd have like three layers. I have in-person panels with pe where people are, you know, talking in person. I'd have uh, a virtual uh, uh, VR element similar to the one Mark described. Then I'd have people who are just kind of voyagers and, and watching both. If you think about kind of how real conferences work, most people don't interact. Most people simply just go to the, you know, you have the speakers, you have people like us who talk to each other, and then you have people who look in on all of those conversations. And if I have to predict human nature will stay the same in the metaverse where you have people like us who will need the big resources to meet and collaborate such as this, and then the people who are going to watch this this thing that we're doing, this cloud 2030, who's going to come in will be much larger, larger than this group and watch in. They don't want to be necessarily part of the conversation. They just want to look at the conversation. They want to look at the VR uh, interaction take place. They're more curious and, and flies on the wall than they are participants and needing that heavy compute to interact. I guess I still come back to, does it require a lot of resources to have those? Like, like where are the resources for that interaction, right? Um, because I'm, I'm still, I mean, maybe I'm being overly focused on the, the tech or the infrastructure side of this, but I, I go back to Joanne's push on, you know, and, and this is Web3 democratizing it, right? Rather than it being, you know, I need an Amazon scale Twitch to stream out a, li a live event. You know, can can this be something where you're visiting back to uh, Snow Crash, you know, or where you're visiting a company or a home or a business, you know, uh, where they're hosting the resources for that event? Um, 
and the quality of that event or right. So if you haven't read snow crash, it's becoming more and more relevant all over again. You have to like it. Um, um, but one of the things in the snow crash environment was that different people hosted different properties. So there was the metaverse where it was like a block, but you built your own house. You own the resources in the house and you would invest in whether it had enough processing power, but also it's digital goods, right? In the environment. Um, and it, it's actually, now that I think about it, a lot of what Snow Crash ended up being about was not how much CPU power you had, but how much um, digital IP you built into the space. It was both. But to your point, Rob, if you think about the resources you have, and, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I play around with things like Unity and whatever, right? Coming from product definition and engineering design. Um, when you look at the space that you need to be able to build a, a metaverse, there are definitely layers. Certainly there's the, the, the world around you or the room around you. That's a set of resources. If that's provided by the enterprise that's trying to lure you into that room or to that space, then that takes the burden off the individual, right? Because they're building the, the scene, if you will, the environment. You're bringing yourself, your images, your text, your video, your voice, those are your resources that are being projected into their environment. If you go to Ikea, for example, and you want to buy furniture, just as an example, to put into their scene, their scene is already built for you. That's the enterprise version. Their, their catalog of products, what you choose to buy is a single object. So now think more like uh, you've got the 3D and the environment being built for you that you could call as an API call. The individual pieces of furniture, well, you can pull it from a, a you know a, a, a catalog and place that in, right? Any a lot of the, the large companies that are starting this notion of immersivity are creating layers and adding new layers to it to make it feel like that three-dimensional experience that the metaverse portends to bring us. I'm not saying that it will. I'm just saying that you're starting to look at that in, in a way that's much different. I mean, a simple example, go to, go to any paint manufacturer, Sherwin-Williams or Benjamin Moore. You can look at the colors on the wall in the room. You're just looking at it changing or even a car that was uh, at CES that changed colors. You're looking at those experiences, but the whole scenery, is, the burden of that technology is on the purveyor of the right. service or the information or the product that they're trying to get you to buy. So that takes, in my mind, a lot of the um, infrastructure off of the individual and places it on the corporate side. Will it be all edge? Will it be cloud? Well, I can't imagine having 10,000 instances of Amazon where I could easily imagine having 10,000 edge servers. So I could be as close to my perspective, uh, avatar, hologram, three-dimensional person as I need to be. That, that's kind of how I look at things. And maybe it's a, a very 
lame set of examples, but by breaking it out that way, you start to take that infrastructure burden off of the individual and place it where it should be, which is on the on the corporate entity. Yeah, I just have trouble seeing that as this, uh, you know, they might regionally distribute it, but I, I, it, I don't see it having to be as close. I, it's something's going to have to change from that perspective. I agree. I, I like the vision. Well, content delivery networks are a good example. Why are they trying to get so much closer to where their user bases are and take that level of flexibility that's needed and architect for it? Yeah, no, that's true. Rich, did you want to? You have a point? Yeah, um, I guess there are two things. One, I, I posed the question here about driving down a car, driving down the road with a you know a heads up display, getting basically the environment that I'm passing through enhanced by you know labels, additional information, um, hopefully under my control as opposed to you know a storefront putting up um, you know the moral equivalent of a neon sign saying, you know, <laughs> drop in and get a, you know, 25 cent hamburger. Um, the, what I, I guess I'm looking for is, you know, what, and, and Don also kind of raised the question, what, what is it that we're looking for here? Are we building a, 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 a simulated real world with some additional enhancements. You know, we get to we get to decorate it. We get to accessorize our real world. Or are we talking about you know some you know kind of unlimited you know kind of like a gaming experience of a, a completely fabricated imaginative imaginary world and that's you know i think we're i think we're conflating a lot of our our questions here because of that lack of of understanding where, where along this spectrum a vr or a virtual you know virtual reality or a metaverse actually exists I don't disagree with you, but let me ask a question. How many here have gone to anywhere in the world and used an AR application to understand that as they're walking, they're passing by buildings or museums or whatever that would be of interest that they don't know are there? Okay, so you have and I have. Anybody else? A full AR? Like, I, yeah, I mean, I've an AR done, experience. Uh, would you count like a driving tour that used G GPS to say, hey, I'm, you're in this location, look to the right? Or, or like, do you expect like that? I, I, brought, I lifted up my phone and it labeled things on it. I haven't tried that. Okay, you should try that. Okay. Because that's much more what I believe the metaverse is trying to be now but without the limitation of only what's on your phone in, in proximity to where you are. 
but rather to make it larger and allow you to go from point to point. Um, the Louvre has a fantastic AR experience in that respect, where, where as you're moving from room to room, you get more history, more detail, more opinion about the artwork. You can look at um, uh, photographs of, of paintings in 3D, etc. That's a step. I think the notion of the big metaverse is make it as virtualized as possible to create your own experience. In other words, experience the world as you would like it to be, almost like the rose-colored glasses view of the world, where creativity and uh, inspiration come to you and it becomes much more uh, the gamified world. I think that's... That's Meta's version of Metaverse. But I think there's a lot of people who say that's not, we're not looking for a world of games. We're looking for a, a more in depth experience. And that's the immersivity that I think a lot of us are talking about. It's a more immersive experience as if we were face to face, but without the unicorns and rainbows of the gamified world. Does that make sense? Well, you're, you're, I think you're you're stating in a, in a slightly different way the, the point that I thought I was making before, which is the metaverse at one end of the spectrum is an overlay. It's an enhanced version of the world that you happen to be experiencing at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and that can... You know, that can move to the point where it completely overtakes the the place and the world that you are experiencing at the moment and basically transports you or places you in something that is completely is almost completely fabricated for the purpose of your your senses. The thing that y'all are coming back to to me on this is that it's not an infrastructure conversation. It's actually an intellectual property conversation. That the the missing the missing piece here keeps is not do I have enough CPU power to render something? It's is do I have a way to put my environment like the the Louvre example? Like you're not the Louvre example probably doesn't have a server room somewhere right pulled by the water from the sand right it, it 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 has a somebody went in and crafted experiences in each of those rooms where they they had the pictures and the narratives right there's a ton of intellectual property that intellectual property is so much more than the the infrastructure component here um, and even like the AR goggles and even the idea of popping up ads, somebody has, we, we have enough intellectual property that you're driving down the street and there's, there's enough. Well, you're stuff. bringing up, you're bringing up two things. One is the content. Okay. And of course, intellect, the, 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 the ownership of and control of that content. And then you've got presentation, the control that you have as the recipient or the the immersant, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, you like that one, don't you, Don? Um, uh, 
the, uh, the the person or the group that's experiencing it, what control, what levels of control do they have? Uh, and I, I think those are those are both exceptionally important. And at, at that point, then you figure, all right, now let's talk about um, let's talk about how you make that happen. What does it what does it require? This is kind of starting with the the experience and the con and the concepts, and then we'll work we'll work backwards. We'll reverse engineer it. My favorite two words. Reverse and engineer. Reverse and engineer. <laughs> this is this is actually probably where where Mark Zuckerberg is ahead of everybody else in realizing that it's all going to be about intellectual property content being created for the right. It's once you've created that content, you're gonna you're gonna promote the environment that that allows you to distribute it. But doesn't that also? And Mark, you're muted. I wouldn't want to argue with what you just said, Rob, but I would um, uh, I would say that it's possible that what you just suggested is is either one or two and and the other one or two is actually is the actual um, breadth of the destination. Right. And what Mark Zuckerberg has is breadth of destination because of the existing population he has already. Um, and frankly, because of his technical distribution. Um, of his environments um, and his ability to tie it together with um, equipment that allow you to uh, experience it more effectively. So I really think it's, um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, I think that the, the content is um, the intellectual content is going to be hugely important, but um, I think creating the destination, which is why I can't remember what it, what it's called the diverse land or something like that, uh, where, somebody went out and spent $500,000 per a specific corner um, uh, uh, or 500 million. I can't remember what it was. And um, that's great. If that ends up being literally the com.com location for metaverse uh, equivalent. Um, right. But I think uh, uh, realistically um, Zuckerberg has that to lose at this point. I'm going to I'm adding into the, the calendar for April 7th to talk about this in the 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 IP of the metaverse. Um, and and because I think there actually is a Web3 angle in this. And I, I think how how do we keep it from being a, a locked in real estate asset? Right. Yeah. More well, like and we, we have like domain names we have today. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important uh, if I can jump in really quick again before we wrap up, um, because part of also what part of what Eric's doing is he's integrated things like um, uh, Web3 oriented um, uh, functions and wallets and stuff like that. So as you have experiences, you could actually exchange goods um, with people in real time while you're um, do, having the experience, like somebody could give you tickets or you could um, uh, hand them an NFT or, um, uh, any number of things. And you could, so you could really turn the experience into one that not only mimics, um, you know, conversation and being with someone in an environment, but actually allows you to do everything other than actually hand somebody a piece of food that they can actually eat at the, mo at the moment that you give it to them. 
A lot of interesting thoughts. This is a fascinating topic. And I love it because I'm a huge believer that metaverse is going to have an enormous impact on edge. Um, That's what I keep hoping. But every time we get there, I feel like it's not like, like it's, it still hasn't, I I want edge to happen. Damn it. It is. It is, but it's just happening happening. from different angles. It's happening from different angles, but it's happening. Absolutely. That's that's um, I keep looking under rocks. <laughs> I'm under the right rocks. All right, everybody. Oh, look under right rocks. Back. Yeah, rack. <laughs> I can always I count on you for wordplay. That uh, was perfect. <laughs> Nicely done. Thanks. Thank See you guys. Bye all. Bye. So don't go anywhere yet. We have another ten minutes of bonus content today. Uh, before we talked about the metaverse um, conversation, we actually talked about product feedback and getting product feedback. And I felt like it was such an interesting conversation. I wanted to include it as a bonus for you here. Enjoy that too. Don't be afraid to tell people the price if they ask for what the price is, because that's the one that drives me nuts. It's like, let me stop and tell you more features because I'm so nervous about my my price before I'm like I'm like I'm not trying to buy a, a resort condo here. <laughs> what does it do? What does it do? How much does it cost me? That's what I want to know. <laughs> or even better, does it do X? Because that's what I need. Yes. Ask me what it's going to cost. Yes. Yeah. Well, my standard is if it doesn't do this, I'm hanging up. Yeah. No, the, the my other one, my other one is yeah. I expect to walk away with X at the end of this call. If you can't deliver that, please tell me now. That I, I like that approach to it. The thing that, that makes me nervous on this is that we is that people expect that if you if they say no, you're gonna hang up. And so they they, it discourages truthfulness. Well, <laughs> said that so ambiguously. They lie their asses their, off on like, their part the or on our on, or on on your part. Uh, send them an invoice. It, that X amount that, of consulting time. Yeah, half hour increments. Yeah, when somebody says, "I want to pick your brain." It, you know, as a as a lead in for a uh, for a sales call, it's exactly what I say. <laughs> yeah. This is my this is my livelihood. Are you willing to, uh, you know, engage in a contract? Well, no. Uh, mine is my billing rate is. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny. There's there's sometimes when I wish there was a an easier market for for that type of thing. I guess I guess I do like plenty of things with with some of the banks and investment houses and stuff that will pay for for you know an hour of your time that way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I mean I I do a few of those as well and they always have these qualification surveys that you go through. And I suspect they get most of the value out of their qualification survey. 
Right. And it's just like, so, I mean, I've, I've become slightly embittered by those. Um, so. Yeah. So I don't do those at all anymore because I don't get any value from them Yeah, in the few hundred dollars for the hour. That's not, that's hardly that's worth not, it. That's not value for me. Like you, you got to exchange. There has to be an exchange of of information. So if I'm, you know, if I'm giving you like all of, you know, my 20 years of insight, and out of that, I'm no smarter, but you know, three or four hundred dollars richer. Eh. Yeah, it becomes more of a distraction than anything else, too. I've, well. I've done some that that, especially if they were on a panel. Um, I got something back out of it. Yeah. Well, panels are different because you're getting something from the other panelists. Speaking as someone who's been on a panel with Rob. Um, <laughs> got some good um, panels. Yeah. But uh, the, yeah, but yeah, the, especially the, especially the ones are like, it's like, oh, it's an investment bank and it's this double blind thing. And we won't even tell you who you're talking to. Yeah. It's those are, um, I'm getting pretty bitter about those. Fair enough. I, it's interesting that I, following through on my conversation, my thought though is like, I mean, Keith, you sort of do this. I mean, they're they're big studies, and you you end up bringing in gear and you analyze it and you do a report. I there, there's almost a sense to me that if if I could find, you know maybe a week at a time, somebody be like, all right, we've got this new feature, put it through its paces. Tell me if it works. Um, that type of feedback would be sort of interesting. Um, yeah. We, we've discovered that uh, while it's really interesting, the, like the math behind it is really great. The, well, really interesting. The product teams typically don't have the money to sponsor that type of feedback. Because it's, you know, it's people intensive. So especially if it's something that I have to outsource, but the best combination is when product comes with marketing and there's a marketing outcome from it. So product gets the insight, kind of the raw feedback, like this really sucked. And then marketing gets the, uh, it sucked, but you should still buy it because, you know, What's your alternative? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm envisioning this outcome where it's like this is the blog post. <laughs> There's the, maybe there should be an extra, like an extra thing if you don't publish it versus if you do. But it's sort of, it, you know, that would be it would be fine if you were like do this evaluation, give me a blog post. There's like I know there's a market for that, and and I, that actually I think is pretty useful. At the end of the day, if you're having a bad experience, there should be the yeah. Let's just. Yeah, so the, the, we've run into that where we've had bad experiences. And the, so what we've written in is the option for the client to not publish. So the if it's a really like if I can't if I can't polish it at all, it's, hey, you know what? This is really bad. And you guys, you know, maybe come back in, you know, uh, six months and give me uh, uh, version two, and then we'll take another look. So we'll put the project on hold, and then we'll come back, look at look at it after feedback. And then typically that has done the trick, but yeah, it is. I, I learned that from Howard Marks, actually, the, that the, oh. you always give a customer the option to pay more to not publish. <laughs> 
because after we do all, we're at the end of a project that's kind of like that now. After all that work that we do, we want to publish because that's that's how we grow our business. We the if you know, let's throw a big name out there. Intel gives us something and we never, ever publish it, then we did all that great work and the industry doesn't get to see it. And we don't, you know, our, our profile doesn't rise that we did a big project with Intel, which has value. Right. Yeah. Both, both are, both are components for this. Interesting. The ones that I've been involved with that I found were the most productive were actually ones where you went through, did the deep dive, and yeah, the outcome was there's some really serious issues here. The product, the product sucked on some particular aspect. But yes, you should still investigate it because here's what you missed or here's what we missed the first time we went through it. Now that goes back mm-hmm. to product management and says, you know, you're not making best use of the product that you've built. You haven't done a good job of bringing that value proposition to the front, to the fore. And you've got some other aspects here that just aren't going to fly. Yeah, those have been our favorite engagements where uh, product marketing wants to focus on a feature that really isn't baked because the rest of the market says you need Kubernetes. And then we... <laughs> discover a feature like, man, this thing really made my job easier and was all the value and I paid twice as much for the solution because it did all this other stuff. Go back and talk about that other stuff because, yeah. that you know, the Kubernetes stuff might get you the meeting, but this thing will get you the sale. I used to, uh, I used to keep, uh, I have these little, I have these little, pot, these little counters, right? These little click counters. And I would go into meetings and I'd have it under the have it under the uh, <laughs> the table. And every time, you know, the buzzword of the week came by AI, ML, Kubernetes, pick your favorite, you know, I'd give it a click. And then at the end of the meeting, I'd, you know, take a look at it. And, you know, if it was uh, if it was, you know, more than about 15, you know, I, you know, I'm pretty sure the meeting was useless. Um, are they are they are they really loud? Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, I mean, you can hear them, right? Good. And people would ask, you know, what are you doing? Oh, just keeping count. <laughs> You're more subtle than I am. I have a scorecard and I just basically hold it up. <laughs> this was your rank. <laughs> Forget it. It's not going to work. But where, where we find that, you know, when Keith, when you were talking about product versus marketing, product engineering and marketing being like absolutely like this. In many cases, especially with some companies that, you know, they're not, they're like late stage startup. They haven't quite hit the mark yet. And we go back and tell them, you know, here's the vertical that you really should have been aiming at a long time ago. And this is what's going to kind of take you over the top. And engineering goes like this and marketing goes like that. That's the best. Because you can show them their disconnect in such a, a visual way. Of this is the value you're pitching, and this is not what's being returned. And this is why your G2 rankings look like the way they do, or whatever you know format they're they're choosing to pitch. 
But I like the clicker idea because it's the audible in the middle as opposed to maybe the scorecard. When we do the scorecarding thing with some of the clients, it's like, how, how did we only rank three? Well, maybe because well, you missed here, here, and here, but we can help you fix that. Yeah. yeah some of my most difficult conversations have been penetrating buzzwords. Uh, I had this one customer that they said, well, you can deploy our system in three clicks because three clicks was the thing for that market. And I had to end up escalating the thing to the product and VP of marketing and say, look, it took us 30 clicks to get to the install, which is, again, going back to the thing they were highlighting the wrong thing. At the end of the day, once we got the thing installed, which you only have to do once in every, you know, every 10 years, the product was awesome. But I can't go out and tell some, you know, my audience that you can do it in three clicks and yeah. it took 30. Yeah, the yeah. answer, you're exactly right. I don't, you know, installing it, it can't be like, you know, horrible. But, you know, I'm only going to do it, you know, if the, if the damn thing works, I'm only going to do it once. So thank you for listening to our content about the metaverse and our bonus content about product testing, delivery and feedback. Uh, both important topics. If you want to be a part of this, and I hope you do, we love having new voices and new opinions come in. Uh, and share with us in that experience. So please join us at the 2030.cloud. You can check out the agenda, see what we're going to discuss, and jump in to have your voice in the recordings too. Thanks a lot, and I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.